0: All right. Hey everybody. This is producer Dave and we have an ecoplex interview. Um been meaning to talk to this guy for quite some time on the show, but it's just never worked out. He uh, has to get up early for work and uh, I am up till 4am and the times where that crosses hasn't been exactly uh, plentiful this thus far. But since we added him to the network, I figured we had to talk to him. Welcome David Wagner of the addiction addictions podcast. How you doing, David?
1: not bad thanks for having me dave and you know i mean me being on the in the midwest and you guys being out out on the west coast it's uh it is kind of difficult to coordinate these things
0: yeah well that's what um that's what days offer for i suppose
1: yeah yeah there you go man
0: so you can find david's podcast now at echoplexmedia.com slash addictions and uh you guys are also doing uh, a video project where can people find that
1: uh, mainly, uh, the home base for that would be on Facebook. It's it's called Otherworldly Investigations. It's uh, kind of like a paranormal investigation show. Uh, but we try not to be like uh, like ghost adventures and that kind of that kind of crap because I just I watch that shit and it's it's just so corny, you know. Um, I myself personally don't believe in ghosts or spirits or you know the closest thing i could think of would be maybe inter- interdimensional whatever but yeah that, that being aside you can find that on facebook uh the addictions podcast you know our our website is addictionspodcast.com
0: okay great so we're gonna get right into it um your sh- yeah. your show is a lot more personal than anything we're doing around here it's, yeah a lot of it has to do with uh your life and um your your struggle with uh addiction to uh, opioids i know you've probably told people this a lot of times and there's a lot of places people can find it but uh can you give us the cliff notes version of uh what happened to you and uh you know, yeah how it, how it oh, turned yeah. into you doing a show about it
1: yeah uh you know well it it, it goes back quite a ways i mean I, i'm 33 years old and this was back in december of 2006 i was out shopping for booze for uh, upcoming new year's eve party you know we were gonna get shit-faced it wasn't new year's eve it was december 28th uh so we were preparing you know anyways on the on the way home uh you know i was not intoxicated or anything like that driving the speed limit uh we weren't even planning to drink that night you know it was we were waiting for new year's eve uh but anyways, I was on my way home, and uh, it was pretty cold out. But being December, you know, the roads were not bad. The roads were pretty clear. There was no snow out on the roads. It wasn't slippery. And I was headed east, and all of a sudden, another driver that was heading west, you know, oncoming, lost control and crossed the center line. You know, and it, it she was so close that, you know, I just... I couldn't even really think about reacting, but I kind of instinctively slammed my left leg, my left foot onto the the brakes, and that caused the uh, when I hit her, you know, she, I basically T-boned her because she was sideways in front of the in the road in front of my vehicle at about fifty-five miles an hour. Um, because I don't think I even really barely touched the brake, but that's what caused the steering wheel basically to. Hit my femur, my left femur, and snap it in half, uh, about four inches above the left knee. Uh, you know, and and I, I yeah, it's crazy because I've never been a, a big seatbelt advocate, but um, I was wearing my seatbelt that night. And to be honest with you, Dave, I honestly don't think I'd be here talking to you if I hadn't been wearing that seatbelt, you know. I, it was pretty rough. Uh, I, actually, on our website, I've got there's there's a link, and you can kind of read my story. If there's actual pictures of the X-ray of the my broken femur shortly after it happened, um, but you know the it, it it could have been a lot worse. We're, the accident could have been a lot worse. I I honestly, when it initially began, I knew it was coming, and I I was thinking, you know, this is it. I'm gonna die. And honestly, that feeling is—it's is, inexplicable. It's hard to really explain it to anyone who's never went through a traumatic event like that. It—it um, it really threw me for a loop. But I'll be honest with you: the two things I was thinking—I was thinking—besides death. The other thing would have been lawsuit, 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 lawsuit. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to get messed up. Uh, when the vehicle came to a stop and I, I was alive, I I knew I couldn't I knew something was wrong because I couldn't move anything below my waist. Um, anyways, they got me out, you know, and uh, the paramedics showed up within around 20 minutes, which I was a little upset about that. But they got there you know and uh I went into surgery and had a titanium rod inserted into the down into the left femur and it's basically a titanium rod that's the it's as long as the femur is attached at the hip with a screw and attached at the knee with two screws um and that would be in my leg for another two years but uh, eventually it got to the point where, you know, after the bone was healed, I, was, I would notice when I would bend over, uh, the screws in the hip were catching on a ligament or a tendon or something. Which would cause just excruciating pain and uh, that, that was a problem. Uh, some other things I noticed was that if I went on a long walk, my, my left leg would go numb. It would feel like someone was pouring a cold glass of ice water down into my leg. If I sat in the same position too long, same effect. If I stood in the same position too long, same effect uh and on top of that i began to develop a lot of lower back pain so i began uh in, i don't know if you know this but in, in michigan we have the the no fault auto insurance law uh you know and clearly this accident was not my fault so basically the insurance company is required by law to pay for my medical expenditures with anything having to do with anything that as a result of this accident so you know it wasn't like i was worried about getting these things paid for because they, they were covered uh so it, it, it still could have been worse uh you know i mean i, I could have been paying out the ass for a lot of this but you know eventually i got to the point where i, I was walking doing my thing and the bone was healed and that that pain started when i would bend over so they did another surgery to remove that titanium rod from my leg which i still have i actually mounted it on my drum set as a splash cymbal stand so yeah that's a little bit of a conversation starter there um the rod was in my leg for two two years um since they've taken the rod out, I haven't had any more issues with the pain when I bend over. But the issues would have been things like the numbness, the burning pain, the stabbing pain. These are This is nerve pain, neuropathic types of pain that I was feeling predominantly. Uh, but on top of that, I was diagnosed with spinal stenosis, which was probably a result of my altered gait or my walking stance because the femur actually healed kind of crooked to a degree. So I, I'd been walking on it for so long that it, that began to affect my, my lower back. So I was developing pain there. But anyways, my family doctor decided that uh, they were going to put me on narcotic pain medication. And I started out on uh, vi- uh, Norco 7.5 milligrams milligrams of hydrocodone excuse me uh, th- three times a day as needed you know and, and I had pain every day uh, you know it, it, it was it was pretty rough for the first couple of years but over time the pain you know kind of diminished and got less and less and but my tolerance for the opioids was growing and growing and um, you know eventually I began to milk it a little bit you know and I would get I would begin taking more than I needed in an effort to get high. And it was pretty much downhill from there for the next seven years. After about four and a half years of being prescribed the opioids by my doctor, uh, I called in my prescription early a couple of times and uh, got a letter in the mail shortly thereafter saying that she could no longer have me as a patient, uh, which was very unfortunate because I, I, I knew all too well by then that I was addicted mentally and physically dependent on the, the opioids. Uh, so I was worried. Um, but I, I did know where to purchase opioids on the street, but I soon figured out without insurance paying for my, my drug habit that it was beginning to take around 80 to 90% of my paycheck every week. And that went on for another couple of years, you know, and uh, really no longer had insurance because the Progressive, the auto insurance, they had me go see their doctor and they stated that I was uh, pre-injury status and they would no longer cover anything, which was another bummer. Um, You know, so I, I... you know I would do anything to get pills. I would go to the dentist and get my wisdom teeth pulled purposely, so I could get drugs. I was uh, you got to, I would sell prized possessions. I was stealing, I was. It was just a downward spiral from then on out, you know, and I began using any opioid any opioid I could get my hands on, uh whether it's methadone, hydrocodone, oxy, uh you know, Percocets, morphine, codeine, whatever I could find. And uh you know, the whole time I, I look back at it and I realized the money that I was paying on prescription pills, I may have well just as just as well, I've been using heroin, uh, because I would have saved a lot of money. Um, But the thing there is, you know, that would have been a a, a complete death sentence. Um, And I'm, I'm really happy that I didn't make it to that point, and that I eventually kind of got an eye opener and realized that something needed to change you know and that's when I found out about suboxone and you know the rest kind of writes itself I I could get I had a really hard time getting into a legitimate suboxone program and for anyone who doesn't know suboxone is uh, it's buprenorphine and it's a it's not a normal opioid it, it's a partial agonist and it it, it'll cover certain opioid receptors, but it, it's it's got such a high affinity that it won't allow other opioids to attach. So, I mean, I could be on Suboxone and, and try to shoot heroin and it wouldn't get me high because there's no receptors in the brain for those heroin uh, chemicals to attach to. So it's kind of a strange drug in that respect, but it totally removes the cravings. And since I started Suboxone uh, about two years ago, you know, I was able to eventually taper my dose down to the point where, you know, I was basically taking 0.25, a quarter of a milligram a day and stayed there for about a week. And eventually I jumped off and... I'm not going to lie there were probably 2 or 3 days that where I had some really bad physical withdrawals but besides that it was nowhere nearly as bad had I tried to quit cold turkey
0: Well that's that's a hell of a story uh, I didn't know previously about how uh, how horrific your injuries were like you had to have a you're basically you'd have your femur replaced with a metal femur so that your femur can heal around the metal one.
1: Yeah, man. And, I'll, I'll, and, uh, and then I'll they removed that. that man. Yeah. I'll so, send you, I'll send you a photo of the, the titanium rod. It's, it's pretty wild.
0: That is pretty wild. That is pretty wild. Wow. You know, it's really funny. It seems like there was a point there where your doctor could have stepped in and done something.
1: Exactly. Um, two years into my prescription through my doctor, um, I actually, I actually went to her because at that time I was beginning to. I would wake up in the morning, and before I would take my normal dose of hydrocodone for the morning, I'd wake up and feel incredibly sick. Uh, but as soon as I take my dose, you know, it's yippity skippity. I'm on cloud nine, happy, good to go. Let's take on the day. Uh, you know, and and I and I, I'm honestly technically disabled. I. I uh, my leg is pretty jacked, but you know I, I work on a farm and i it's hard labor and I bust my ass uh, you know I, I, but i I don't need the painkillers to do that but you know that 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 was my philosophy at the time was you know I'm a badass let's go kick some ass and take some pills and I'll you know and I, when I look back that's incredibly irresponsible it's just ridiculous. But uh, I, I did uh, say to my doctor about two years in, because I by this time I had already known that I was becoming physically dependent. And so I said to her, you know, I, I'm kind of worried about physical dependency. And she said, well, if we get to that point, we can treat it. So I wouldn't worry about it right now
0: but then it but then it but, got to uh, that, but then it got to that point
1: it, it got to that point and i was running out of my pills early so i called my prescription in early the first time around she was really cool about it no problem but the second time around she sounded kind of annoyed but still filled it the third time i could tell she was pissed but she's still filled it, uh, and then about two weeks later, I get a letter. You know, she didn't even have the decency to call me, and she just said, "You know, you're no longer my patient." Well,
0: it sounds and, like she didn't. When when the time came, she didn't help you treat the no. uh, dependency like she had said she would.
1: Not not at all. Well, that's and it.
0: That's that's kind of, okay, just being kicked loose, I think, is bad because that's your doctor and they're the one who gave you the fucking medication in the first place and they have I, some I responsibility there. But after you having expressed um, concern that you were going to possibly become physically dependent on it and she reassured you and she said, I'll be there for you if that happens. Well, then exactly. that happened and then she just wrote you a letter and told you to go fuck yourself.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep, in a nutshell. And, you know, this was a doctor that I did honestly tr- trust. And and I'll be honest with you, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I'm a young guy, and I, you know, I was younger at the time of this whole, this all took place, you know, 10, 10 years ago or so, uh, or better. And, uh, you know, I, I was a weekend warrior when it came to alcohol. I drank uh, quite often every weekend, you know, I would drink whiskey with my, with my friends and uh, have a good old time. But, you know, we always tried to be smart about being stupid. Um, yeah, you know, but shit does happen. Uh, you know, I, I dabbled in, uh, you know, cocaine a little bit here and there, but it, it never consumed me, never had any issues with, uh, you know, spending 95% of my paycheck every week on it, uh, you know, and uh, smoked pop. You know, uh, honestly, I didn't care all that much for drinking. It was—it just seemed way too messy, especially compared compared to marijuana. Um, but you know, I was being honest with my doctor. I, you know, I, you know, I—I will say that I probably did exaggerate some of the pain to a degree, um, but. I did have legitimate pain every day and I, I still do, you know, I, I just handle it differently now.
0: Well, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the podcast. Like what, I mean, did you listen to podcasts and is that why you decided to do your own or was well, it just that you wanted to share your story and you thought maybe blogging or writing was not your style or, you know, what, what, what kind of got you going?
1: Well, it's kind of a, kind of a multifaceted kind of thing there um you know I, i've always been into playing music uh i grew up and my dad was in a band my whole entire life you know and uh i grew up playing drums at eight years old and bass guitar uh been in a few different bands and eventually started uh i set up a digital audio workstation and started recording my own electronic music and shit uh <laughs> So I've always been interested in in audio and production and and audio production, uh, you know. So the podcast thing kind of was a, a no-brainer, um, but the the subject addiction uh, that's something that's you know really s- struck home for me. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to do a podcast about anything, it's well, it's either going to be a paranormal one or a addictions. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I so I searched a lot of different podcast directories and and to be honest there were quite a few uh, podcasts that specialize in addiction and help and stuff like that but a lot of them are either not being updated anymore or they have incredibly low ratings and low production values and the guest or the uh, host tends to sound like they like it's a joke or something like that, and it's not a goddamn joke. Uh, this is something that's it's everywhere. I, personally, in the in the past year or two here in Mont- Montcalm County, Michigan, you know, this is this is this is tiny uh, the demographically here. Uh, but personally, I've known. Seven people have overdosed because of uh, heroin laced with fentanyl.
0: So, um, you talked about production quality. Do you, I also used to write electronic music? Um, but I am not using any of the tools I used before. But uh, yeah, yeah. Do you do you find that? Do you find that the production quality in that particular podcasting space is especially bad, or is that a problem with independent podcasting more broadly?
1: I wouldn't say so because more and more independent podcasters, a- and it's it's even becoming more affordable to you know if if you're a one man show or even a two man show, you you can get away with uh, something as small as you know like the the Behringer Euphoria two or whatever it is with uh, it's got to like two inputs or something on it. it's like forty bucks you know and then uh, you don't need an insane, beefy PC to do it. I mean, I've got a decent PC, but you can record decently with, uh, you know, two to four gigs of RAM and somewhat decent processor. Uh, You know, so I I do think that 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 high-end audio sound is reachable for just about anybody now. It's just you need a little bit of knowledge as far as setting up your microphones, um... Knowing how to talk into a microphone that that, that really helps, uh, but just just little kind of things like this that have kind of always been pet peeves of mine, so to speak. Uh, but you know, be, beyond that, I did notice you know there there weren't a lot of really great addictions podcasts out there. There are there are a few. Uh, I think there's one that's called uh, the the one you feed. And it's it's a it's a little more abstract, but it's uh, so it's, it's a really great show, and I definitely urge everybody to check that out. Uh, the, unfortunately, the guy's not paying me money to say that, but it, it's a good show. Um, you know, uh, I, I listen to it regularly. Um, but you know, I, I wanted my show to be kind of to be honest when i first started out when i first recorded my first episode i i, I had no idea what what i was doing i mean i i have recorded lots of music and lots of vocals over the years so i figured you know it's going to be not much not much different than that um but i was using uh dynamic mics i think and kind of having some issues with ganging and that sort of thing so I ended up eventually getting a, I believe it was an AKG 220 condenser mic which when it's just me in the studio here it's really nice it's yeah I wouldn't turn back but uh when I have a guest or if I have a guest in studio uh I don't like to tend to share mics because editing is a little trickier that way um so I usually end up with a sure SM 57 for my guest and usually slap a noise gate on there. Uh, but all in all, I wanted the show to sound somewhat well-produced and, you know, my, my first couple of episodes were a little, uh, a little sloppy. I mean, I guess everybody says, you know, everybody's your, their own critic, but, uh, you know, I, I am still happy with those first few episodes that I did.
0: You should hear uh, episode number two of The Plex.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll check it out tonight.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> episode one's pretty bad, but episode two takes the cake for, for bad episodes, man.
1: Excellent.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, don't even worry about your first episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've read that a lot a online. I mean, uh, that's one thing about the podcasting community I found was, wow, there is a... Podcasting community, you know, which is which is kind of cool. You know, people get to pick people's brains.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you're adding a, a co-host for uh, the Addictions Podcast going forward. Uh, who's that, and uh, how do you know that person? And uh, you know, what's you know, sh- spread some love. Spread some love.
1: Well, it, it should be interesting, and it's not a set in stone thing. Uh, but but I'm hoping, and and it's I, I'm about 75% sure she'll be down to do it. And I've talked to her already about it. Uh, you know, I, I have a younger daughter. She is 11 years old. Her name is Lily. She's amazing. Uh, but uh, she's not my biological daughter. Huh? And she knows this. But, you know, I've been there since day one and I'm dad. Anyway, her, her mother, uh, who I dated for six or seven years, is uh, her and I actually kind of developed our addictions right around the same time period and we, we both really enabled each other and we're both in recovery and the one thing that I found doing this, doing the the addictions podcast is that it's, it's incredibly, incredibly cathartic. It's therapeutic for me, Dave. And I'm not trying to ring my own bell or anything, but I have always had a little more self-control than than Sarah has. Uh, she's been in outpatient rehab. I've, well, no, she's been in inpatient rehab. I've, uh, you know, only ever really gotten help once or twice. And uh, that that means nothing. Uh, but you know, she, I, I think that it would be good for her to do something like this and to get her story out and to just talk about it because I, I'm a firm believer that talking about our problems and and getting them out, not only can it help us, but it can help an untold number of people all over the planet. you know. Uh, so that's really why I kind of chose her as a candidate. Uh, and it's kind of funny because her and I uh, you know, during our little breakup session, uh, things were bad. We, <laughs> we were at each other's, each other's, each other's throats, uh, you know, left and right. Um, but, uh, I will say that since we did break up, you know, we've, we've never, we've never been best friend, better friends.
0: Well, cool. You had uh, you had said that you uh, got some new gear if, if I'm not mistaken, what do you, yeah. what do you got going on now?
1: uh right now i got i've got that that akg p220 condenser mic which it was an amazing deal man uh retailed there anywhere from uh, i want to say about 50 to 250 you know depending on what package you get but i got mine used at a the local musician shop shop here down down the road and uh it was like 75 bucks, and it uh, came with a mic, the shock mount, and a hard shell case, man. I was totally satisfied. You know, and and, and the, richness, the richness of that mic is just unreal compared to, uh, like I said, generally I've been using uh, SM57s or 58 from time to time, which, don't get me wrong, those are great mics, but uh, this is really... It's just so much more full. There's, It's got that thickness to it.
0: Very nice, very nice. Yeah, we, we have five mics here, so we can't really run any condensers.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, typically it's only me, so I, I tend to run the condenser, but if I do have guests, we usually use uh, some noise gates and the uh, 57s or the 58s. Very nice,
0: very nice. So you have a you said you have a, a video project going on on YouTube, otherworldly investigations. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. that about that? That looks fun.
1: Well, we we do have videos for the addictions podcast too, but that that's kind of, that project is uh, kind of been put on the back burner, but the um, otherworldly investigations, you know, let me kind of explain how it all started. Uh, my dad, you know, I, I kind of live with my parents. I'm helping my mother out. She's uh diagnosed with COPD and she's on oxygen so she has a hard time doing a lot of things around the house so uh, you know I'm I'm helping her out my, my brother and I and uh, one of my dad's friends come over one day and he, he brought this big ass silver box just fucking heavier than shit and I open this box and there's cameras inside and I get to looking around and there's these two boxes one of them is um Let's see. It's some ITC blah 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 device, Avalus uh, 3, and it's a device that supposedly will pick up on magnetic readings, and it will, through the speaker that's in it, spit out a random word based on certain EMF anomalies or uh, or so, uh, sorts of stuff like that. If you tr- if you turn the thing on and you uh, let it go for a while. Odds are it's going to say something. You know, it's going to say uh, oh, or it's going to say sweep, or it's going to say barrel, or whatever. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. But anyways, there was that one, and there was a EMF detector, which was a tri-field meter. And this is something that typically electri- electricians use. It's it will measure EMF and uh, electric frequencies if you turn it on and put it to put it put it by like a uh an outlet a power outlet it'll go off the charts uh but Mm -hmm. basically you know you take these things out into the field and you look for emf anomalies or uh magnetic disturbances that kind of shit and uh you take this Ovilus thing, and you can ask it questions and all this bullshit. Um, but I, I, you know, I will say that we have found some things that, as a skeptic, I can't really explain. You know, that's not to say that there's not a logical explanation for that kind of crap, though.
0: Right. It's just that uh, you don't have the explanation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it could be anything, man. Uh, but there's one instance where we were out in a stable kind of an abandoned horse stable this was behind my parents house and you know we were in there kind of fucking around with the Ovilus thing that's the thing that will spit out the words and my Nick my brother Nick he had a, a lady friend over and uh, she was uh, holding a water bottle and uh, the obelisk says Female, and she's a female stand there. And then it says bottle, and she's holding a water bottle. So that was kind of an odd coincidence. And we walk back up to the house, and it says female bottle again. But each time it does that, we get a big spike on our trifield meter. And then all of a sudden, all of that activity just stopped, you know. And Dave, I'm a scientific guy. I, I witnessed this I you know I I can't explain it but I, I did witness that um, you know and there's been a few other things uh, you can go to facebook.com/ otherworldly investigations we do have a videos tab and uh, actually our latest video I mean I, I honestly don't want to brag man but uh, it's it's actually called arches bridge it's a kind of an abandoned Railroad bridge, but within the first month and a half, we've got uh, 27,000 views, which r- hugely surpassed my expectations. We're used to maybe you know two or three thousand views max, uh, so it's it's actually starting to take off. Uh, you know, a lot of people are interested in that kind of stuff. I guess Uh you know, and like I told you earlier, I'm a, I'm a skeptic with an open mind, I guess. Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, I honestly tend to consider myself an atheist when it comes to any sort of deities or anything like that. So for me to believe in, in spirits and ghosts, it's, it's a stretch. Well,
0: you know, I, I guess I probably like you're talking about things that are measuring based, uh, radiation and radio waves and stuff. So I'm thinking like, I, I guess you live in a different kind of place than I do. Cause you, you turn that oh, shit yeah. on, you turn that shit on outside of my it, apartment and it's, it's just going to go crazy. Right. Because, yeah. because yeah. of where I am.
1: Definitely. Definitely. The, the one device that we had, the, um, the tri-field meter that would account for and compensate for the, the Earth's actual magnetic field. So you're not getting a disturbance from that. But if you are, say, under high-tension power lines or near power lines outdoors, that can have an effect on the, the needle moving. Uh, but in, in one of these areas, we were in a, a local graveyard, and there's no power lines. There's, there's no high-tension power lines. There's no transformers. There's really no electric for... Uh, you know the radius of at least a mile, uh, and and we were still getting spikes. And we've we've tested our equipment. You know, turn on one piece of equipment and move it towards the tri uh, trifield meter. You know, and, and they don't they don't seem to affect each other. So that's you know I, I, I really try to troubleshoot troubleshoot these things because, uh, you know I don't want to be I want to be as thorough as possible.
0: Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the uh, it's kind of interesting, like that they're giving off things that you don't understand. Uh, are the other people working on the project with you more inclined to believe in the spirits, so to speak? To
1: fucking a yes. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, uh, they're good people though. My my older uh, half brother Nick Neely, he's a, he's a good guy. Uh, you can you can find us all on Facebook, uh, but you know Nick is a uh, definitely a believer. Uh, but he is, he is somewhat skeptical, too, but he is definitely a believer. Uh, for instance, we had a video where uh, we were kind of examining this voodoo doll that a fan had given us. And uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to find out if it was active or not, uh, which I failed miserably at. But uh, my brother claims uh, that he was touched and we caught that on video and uh, to be honest it, it looks like he was litig- legitimately scared he jumped he uh he, you know i i i don't know i i trust my brother and i don't think that he would fake that you know i uh, you know just just things like that um that kind of stuff uh i'm not afraid of ghosts if that's what they are uh I I would want to uh, say, hey, what's up, man? You got any uh, tips for, uh, like, give me some money, ghost?
0: Or even, like, for, well, if I happen to become a ghost, what do I do? Do I talk to the other ghosts? Do I I observe for a while?
1: and and, And one thing, I don't know if there's a rule book, because, like, I was thinking about it, and I think, I'm sure other people have thought about this, but... All these ghost sightings, uh, the the famous ones you see, they're they're always dressed in, like, 1800s, 1700s uh, Victorian garb or clothing.
0: And I think they hook you, you up.
1: We we they don't hook see, you up with some,
0: like, kind of fancy clothes from, like, the Victorian era, dude.
1: We don't see, like, caveman ghosts or anybody in between there, uh, Egyptian ghosts. Uh, is it like you're a ghost for so long and then you die again? <laughs> And then you're like sub ghost. The dress code. And and so on and so on. It's just a
0: dress code for the afterlife, dude. Listen, you either obey the dress code yeah, or, sit, yeah, or you go mm. to the, the fucking burning place underground. So listen, wear true, this fucking true. fluffy shirt or you can go to hell. Mm. It's like, it's, it's, like the tough, purga- so- it's the purgatory dress code, man. You gotta get yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. So have you guys um seen anything? <laughs>
1: I personally have not seen anything with my own eyes. Uh, I do have some photos uh, that are actually pretty strange. Um, You know, before I started this uh, paranormal thing, I thought that the so-called orbs were nothing more than dust, insects, possibly water vapor, um, that sort of thing, but we, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but but during one investigation, when we were in the basement, which wasn't all that dusty at my my brother Brian's house, uh, we we captured some orbs, orbs on film moving, not just uh, not just uh, photos of orbs. And these orbs that were moving, they were they were orange, bright orange. Uh, about the size of a golf ball to a softball. One went through the camera, and as it went through the camera, uh, I had, well, it went through the corner of the camera, of the of the scene, and I had a camera sitting about a foot away from me on the ground, and it's, uh, it was in a case, so it was pretty bulky. I would have had to, to tip it over, I really had, I would have had to push it. Uh, but as this orb goes by, which I didn't see with my naked eye, uh, the camera tips over, and in the video, can you can hear me say the camera tipped over, and you can see the orb go by. Uh, so I don't. Dust doesn't typically behave behave in these these types of manner. It doesn't reflect reflect light that much, and we've had had these sort of orange orbs that seem to move uh, in some very strange ways. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't. I obviously we can't see the air currents in that basement, but I mean, who knows? Uh, but it, it is kind of odd that they they travel in strange kind of ways. Uh,
0: Are they showing almost, up on different uh, camera equipment?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, I got the video orbs on my my uh, iPhone six and the. Uh, the photo orbs we would have picked up on our, I believe my Fuji, let me find those real quick, because these are these are really strange orbs. They' um, I got to zooming in on them because there's so many of them we have two, three, four, probably twenty five orbs in this one picture. And some of the orbs are there there's a circle, an outer circle that's white then there's an enter uh, like right in the center there's a solid circle that's i don't know the size of a, a, a gumball and in between there's all these smaller spiral circles you know and, and i i thought maybe it was uh lens flare from our lamps from our lights because we use external lights when we film in the dark uh but the lights we use would not have put off a lens flare that way because we use uh, square lights not really circle lights uh, but I'll, I'll have to shoot you a few of these photos for you to check out and maybe toss up online somewhere um, so yeah I mean you know like I said I I, I, I am a skeptic Dave uh, but I have seen some things that I, I really will honestly say that I can't explain yet yet
0: that's interesting you know I'd, uh, if you can uh if you can zap me some of the pictures I've already got the video that you mentioned because uh, I take I take some notes while I talk to people because you know, yeah yeah I do a pod I do a interv- I, I'm an interviewer <laughs> so uh great um I'm really interested to see what this otherworldly investigations does and I'm looking forward to your next episode of the uh of the addictions podcast uh, thanks awesome. for thanks for awesome. thanks for taking the time today, man. Um yeah. just just quick rundown again of where everybody can find you.
1: Yeah, uh, as far as otherworldly investigations goes, all of our videos are available for free, obviously on Facebook. It's Facebook dot com slash otherworldly investigations. Uh, that's all one word. Uh, the Addictions Podcast. We are still. As Dave and I spoke, we are still kind of transitioning uh, uh, there. So stay tuned to addictionspodcast.com for updates and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash addictionspodcast. Uh, And you should be able to find what you need to find there to stay up to date on what's going on.
0: Okay, great. Thanks again for joining me, man.
1: Oh, of course, Dave. Anytime, man. Thank you.